I was like least likely to get on a stage and speak. Like nobody would have ever predicted that in a million years because I was the guy that would have the sweat coming down his face when he even like talked to five people. You hear about a debilitating fear. Like it was my number one fear above death, probably. You're listening to Corey Poirier, who overcame a truly rough start in public speaking to become an in-demand keynote and multiple-time TEDx speaker and now founder of the Upstart Blue Talks platform for speakers, authors, and influencers. If you're thinking to yourself, there's no way I could be a public speaker, or you simply want to get better at your craft, listen up, because Corey is today's guest on Solopreneur Success. Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing popular speaker, influencer, and best-selling author, Corey Poirier. One thing I've found Corey and I have in common is we both enjoy interviewing other people. Though Corey has interviewed a lot more people than I have, we're definitely going to have to talk about that. And we're going to talk about a lot of other things, including his new book and another special project he has going on. Corey, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Steve. I am super, for lack of a better word, stoked to be here. Awesome. Corey, one of my first questions for you today, this is it's been in my head all day long, is you're an in-demand speaker. You've spoken multiple times on TEDx. You've been featured numerous times on television, some of the top business podcasts in the world, like Entrepreneurs on Fire, for example. All these different things you have going on, speaker, best-selling author, podcast host, a great podcast. You have your fingers in a lot of different pies. So when somebody said, Corey, what do you do? <laughs> you introduce yourself to somebody. What do, you, what do you say? So if I go back to what I originally said whenever, a great example is, what do you put on a form? Like if somebody says, what do you do for a career? I always said uh, keynote speaker. So first and foremost, I feel that was, that was my starting ground. And it's still what I identify with the most is I'm a professional and paid speaker. And I take a lot of pride in being a paid speaker because it's not that there's anything wrong with not being a paid speaker, but there's not as many of us as I thought there was at one point. And so I take pride in the fact that I've been able to actually make a living as a paid speaker for as many years as I have. But I've always juggled something else. Like a friend of mine has a show called The Side Hustle. I think his show's actually, his community is called Side Hustle Nation. Uh, his name is Nick Loper to give him a shout out. And Nick is always talking about having a side hustle. And I think I've realized early on, Steve, that especially as a speaker, where there's so much unpredictability, that it was important to have some sort of side hustle. So I've always had something on the side of, but it's like when you go to eat a meal, you eat the main meal, like the steak or the burger, that's your meal. The fries just come on the side. So all these other things, I love them with all my heart, but they're all the side hustles versus the speaking being the core hustle. Yeah, that makes sense. I've heard the podcast before too, uh, a couple times at least, for sure. I've, I've listened to it. I'm going to just say this to our audience is that what Corey's saying here just makes total sense. It's always good to have multiple streams of income. And that's what we're really talking about here is multiple streams of income because of what's where we're at right now. We're in the middle of COVID and that kind of just turn things upside down, especially in the speaker's world. I'm, I'm also a member of a National Speakers Association. And everybody, like, overnight, it seemed like all these events were canceled. What do you do? Well, you pivot. And then one thing I, I noticed that Corey did early on, I saw back in March, when all this just got started, he's already talking about pivoting, like, right at the very beginning of this whole thing. And he was, like, waiting to get on the train. He was actually uh, pulling the train along with what he was suggesting people do. 
get on virtual. And he was doing that. And I, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I'm just curious, though, how did you get into speaking specifically? What led you down that path? I always tell people it was a happy accident. Like it wasn't a planned destination by any stretch. So much so that whenever I was younger, and it's funny now with all of us dealing with COVID and not being able to travel as much, I'm actually in the hometown where I grew up. And when I grew up here, I was like least likely to get on a stage and speak. Like nobody would have ever predicted that in a million years because I was the guy that would have the sweat coming down his face when he even like talked to five people. You hear about a debilitating fear. Like it was my number one fear above death, probably, <laughs> as they say. And so I spoke t- three times in my life where I was forced to. One was in a program I was in. And if I wanted to pass, I, it was an entrepreneurial program. And they actually gave us seed money to start a business. So if I want the seed money, I had to actually get up and speak. And then another time was in high school. And then the third one was a local group asked if I would get up and talk about difficulties that young entrepreneurs face. And I was passionate about helping young entrepreneurs. So that was the only one I truly went out of my own choosing. And I changed multiple shades of color. I, I don't remember a word of what I said. I didn't prepare. I asked somebody later on, what did I say? And they said, I have no idea, but you're so excited saying it. You sold me. And so <laughs> I knew I was passionate. And I understood later on how important passion is as a speaker. But having said all that, ultimately, that was my life in speaking until I was mid-20s. And then what happened was in my mid-20s, I was living in one part of the country. And I moved to another part. And I started writing. And so I wrote a stage play for a festival. And one of the actors, the lead actor, had all the most of the words. And he sprained his ankle on the way to the, the, the show one day. So halfway through our seven-night run. And so he still, hey, props to him. He still did the whole play with a sprained ankle. It was like almost like broken. But what I had to do then is I had to write a new part because I needed to get by him more time to get backstage for his costume changes. So I wrote a part and I knew that nobody else knew the lines except for me. And it wasn't fair to put other lines on the other actors. So I had to all of a sudden, as the guy terrified of speaking, write myself a part where I'd have to buy time in front of an audience. So <laughs> I cleverly, I think it was clever, wrote the part where I could walk in with my back to the audience wearing a wig. So I didn't look at any members of the audience, but streams of set were still coming down my face. I was wearing a wrestling t-shirt. I didn't want to be identified. But I asked one of the actors at the end of the seven days, how can I get over this fear? And he said, I don't know if this is the answer, but I'm attending a stand-up comedy workshop at the local university. And I think stand-up comedy will get you over pretty quick. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do stand-up if I'm terrified of speaking, but I can go to a workshop and learn about stand-up. That sounds exciting. So I went to a two-week workshop, learned about stand-up. Week number three, we were going to go to a comedy club and we invited people and we were just going to go watch comics and study them and talk about it after what we learned. That was like the last week of the course. Anyway, we got there. We had all paid for the course. There were 15 of us. The guy that ran the show, he told us about five minutes of showtime that we were the entertainers. So he had booked us to be the performers, but didn't tell that soul. Oh, so wow. we had five <laughs> notice, zero material. I was going to say this much material, but if you're listening in audio, you can't see this. So zero material. And I ran into the bathroom to try to find an exit window to jump down from. And I came back out because there was no exit window. And there were eight of the people that came there that night, like paid to be in the workshop, had walked out the front door. So there were only seven left. And the decision is, am I going to do this or am I going to walk at the front door too? And I saw this little vision of me sitting at the bar looking up to the stage as an old man. And I looked nothing like what I already do now. So I know I didn't look like, I visioned myself as an old man. Like, you know how you see people are playing themselves older and all they do is put on a, a gray wig and gray beard or something. That's what it was. It wasn't like what I actually would look like. But I saw myself looking at the stage next to another old guy going, I was going to do that stand-up thing one night, but I didn't bother and regretting it. And I didn't want to have that regret. So I stayed. We debated who was going to go up first for about 10 minutes. 
And then I jumped on the stage, grabbed the mic, took it out of the stand, jumped into my first joke. So I was the first guy on the stage, told the joke to dead silence, no laughter at all. And that's worse than heckling, somebody heckling you. So then I told the second joke because I figured I'm already on the stage. And this time I didn't just get dead silence. I think I saw a tumbleweed go by. Like it was just nothing. <laughs> Sweat's coming down. I'm just a mess. Finally, Guy, the guy that goes into this, name was Guy, calls me over the corner of the stage, gives me a schmuck in the back of the head and says, you idiot, we haven't even turned the mic on yet. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I found out with no notice at all, the reason they weren't laughing was because they couldn't hear me. So basically, I, now the story used to finish there. You know, I used to say, I did the show and I didn't have my mic turned off. And if I'm a, as a speaker, that's where I would finish the story years ago. But people always ask me, what happened afterwards? What happened when you got the mic turned? So we did get the mic turned on. I told the same jokes and they bombed again. So I think I'm officially the only comic who's bombed twice with the same material in 10 minutes. But to finish this whole story, that was a long story, Steve, to get to a short answer. The long story short is that basically that's how I uh, got into speaking. Because what happened is I kept going back week after week. Because I survived, I was like, wow, okay, this is doable. And I went to a Tony Robbins event and somebody sitting next to me said, can you believe he's getting paid to do this? And I said, wait, hold my beer. What do you mean he's getting paid? I'm paying like five bucks to go down to a show and I'm getting three bucks from the door to perform. And this guy's getting paid. I want some of that. And that's truly how I learned there was a, such a thing as being paid as a speaker. And from there, essentially, I went to the local community college, sold them on, let me teach a business course. And the rest is history because then that sort of eventually evolved into my speaking career. But that's how I got into it. The happy accident is I got tricked into performing stand-up comedy one night and evolved into a speaking career. Yeah. And, and since you've, you've been on, I think I mentioned maybe in the earlier introduction about the TEDx talks, how far along was it from getting started until you get to the bigger stages? What was that process like in order to, to get from, okay, I'm, I'm doing literally comedy improv here without even knowing I'm going to get on the stage here tonight, to I'm getting paid to get on stage on a regular basis. How long did that process take you and what kind of got in your way? And we tend to not always take a straight path. When we go places, we tend to do a little weave and bob. So how did that look like? So I think what fast-tracked it for me, because I was certainly charging for my talks within the first year, which is rare for a speaker. I didn't know that at the time. But my early talks, so first of all, what happened was I approached that college and convinced them to let me teach a business course. I was still doing stand-up. I still kept doing stand-up for quite a few years. And I realized now it was the smartest thing I ever did because it helped me learn the craft of communication. You learn more on a stand-up stage about communicating than as a speaker on a speaking stage. At least I did. And so what happened was I would get a few gigs here and there, speaking gigs. And I was getting paid like small amounts of money, like hundreds of dollars. And that's small in the speaking world, of course. But the flip side of that is I was teaching at this local college. And what happened was people would start calling the college because it was essentially like a weekend or evening course. And so they were sending their employees. So people would start calling the college and say, well, we can't let all of our employees go or we can't send them on a Saturday. What if we brought this dude in and speak at our, our office? And so let's say if they had 20 employees, let's just say, and let's say the college was charging $300 a head. That means they would have had to spend $6,000 to send their staff to see me. So I'm like, my infinite wisdom, I'm like, every time that happened, I'll cut it to 50%. And I would say, well, I'll come in and speak for 3000 So it allowed me to jump the shark, as they say, it allowed me to jump to a higher level of speaking fee than I would have ever been able to get to had that not happened. I, mean, I shouldn't say ever been able to get to it. I mean, it would have taken me longer to get there. So what happened was I was doing talks for hundreds. And then I saw this situation where, well, why would, if they're paying, send, if they're willing to send their staff and it's going to cost them 6000 it's going to look really weird if I try to charge them 500 So I actually thought it would be doing them a disservice. So 
for those clients only, I was able to start charging thousand. And it wasn't always three thousand. It might have been thousand if they if it would have cost them two. I would just passed it basically. I said you're going to save half the money by bringing me in rather than coming to me, and you don't have to have your staff go. Now, what I did do though is I would deliver the talk twice if they need it because they might only be able to have half their staff each time. But that's how I got into the thousands in fees. And then what happened from there is I had to bring up my fees for that I was doing for a private client that didn't come to me that way and somewhat lower the fees I was doing when I was getting 3000 to really get to where I should have been at that point because I don't know that I was a $3,000 speaker when I was charging $3,000. It just happened that I was like, well, if they're going to pay six, why wouldn't I charge three? But I don't think I was there yet. I don't think I was ready. So I actually did a weird thing where I got bookings that were paying me thousands inside of my first year and then kind of went backwards for a few months until I really felt I was ready to be where I was already charging. So that, I mean, that, to your point, it wasn't a direct line, but I certainly within my first year, I didn't get paid enough that I could do speaking full time, but it was a really nice side hustle in the first year, which I know a lot of speakers can't say because I know how many approach me saying they're struggling five years later with getting paid. Yeah, and I, I like one thing you said here is also you didn't just stick with just one venue, you brought it into the corporate world. And actually, corporate speaking is a real big opportunity because right now, maybe not so much, but it will be again soon. And getting into a corporation, they have the money to spend. And if they're going to send people out to a conference, but you can bring the value to them, uh, that's a great opportunity, especially for solopreneurs listening to this. You're an expert in your area and you find corporations that, you know, mid sized, large sized corporations that would send employees out they can afford to bring you in and they'll probably have a, a room right there on site or they can do a local ballroom at a hotel and make it worth their while. So that, that's a great tip. I'd also like what you said about the, you know, having your fee. So it makes sense to the client, but you're also making more money in the talk. And it's also interesting that you did like the kind of like the downward dip, which is really, it's the mental game we play with ourselves. Like, oh, okay, am I really worth this money? And with my coaching clients, for example, I'm regularly saying, they'll say, well, nobody's going to pay me that. Well, yeah, they will, but you have to have the confidence. You have to deliver with confidence. And if you can deliver with confidence, you'll get it. And of course, you, you said that was only a few months in your back of any upswing, but that's something that so many of us go through. We, we hit that little slump there. I want to talk to you a little bit different direction here about your book. Everybody and their brother seems to have a book these days, but you have a new book out. You recently published this. It's a book of why and how. And so I have to ask you, why this book and why now? So it's a great question. And interestingly, this book has had, same you said, a lot of things are on a direct path. This book has taken a weird, weird journey that none of my other books have taken. And I don't think a lot of people's books have taken, whereby it's existed now in, in physical form for about two and a half years, but it started as a self-published book. And usually books don't make that leap from self-published to published. And, but this publisher, Morgan James, who I'm with now, they saw the value of this book. They also saw the sales the book was having as a self-published book. And I think they wanted to be in that, you know, they want to be in that platform or that, that Corey Poirier business of that book because the book had been doing quite well as a self-published book. So what I did, and I, I won't go too far on this backstory, but I actually ran a Kickstarter campaign, which was very rare for a book. And we had a lot of success. A year later, I, I ran a publishizer campaign, which publishers like Kickstarter, but it's for people who want to get their book published. And then that's when I went to Morgan James. So what you're referring to, meaning it being a new book, is the actual official launch date under Morgan James was March 17th. Right. So, and if you notice that date for people listening, that's three days, four days after they announced that COVID was a pandemic. So it was an interesting launch time. But yeah, the book is newer 
And we launched it as a, an ebook first. That was Morgan James is doing. And then a printed book. Well, as an ebook, it did really, really well on the charts. So the book, that's kind of the backstory of the book. But in terms of why this book, why now? And also why, because I have a hard time sticking with a book for a long time. A lot of people, in terms of a book like this, for me, I actually wanted, this is book number 11. It is kind of the question of why this book, why now? Because for me, this book, I pushed harder than any book I've done. This happens to a lot of people. You get a book out, you get excited, it's out six months, you forget about it. And I've done that with some of my books. You hate to admit that you've done that with a book, but I've done that with books. This book, I can't seem to let it go. It won't let me forget it. It's like three years in. It had a year before it was even out that I was reading it. So it's a four years life now. And I'm as excited about it today as I was the day I wrote it. So here's the difference. And here's why this book I think is important now. This book is designed to reach people no matter where they're at and guide them to a better life. And so the first section is called why. So it's broken down into three acts, if you will, almost like a play. So act one is why. And what that act is about is helping you find your calling, your purpose, whatever you want to call that, your why. Then we focus on the four whys that Jim Rohn spoke about. Why, why not? Why not you? Why not now? And so I tackle all those four areas. That's the first section. So this is helping you get to a point where you realize you can serve a purpose and change the world. Second section is called thriving. And it's essentially, it's almost like the buildup and the discovery of the 6,000 plus interviews I've done. Here's what I've learned. It's the five top traits I've learned. So almost like what Think and Grow Rich was for people. Third act or section is called Enlightened. And that's essentially how do you do all this stuff we talk about as an influencer in a conscious way. So the book, the idea is through those sections, you can either read one on their own, they stand on their own, or you can actually grow through the book. You can start with how do I find my why? Then what are the top leaders doing that I can do? Now, how do I make sure I can sleep at night when I do? And then finally, there's a bonus section, which includes 400 quotes by thought leaders I've interviewed. And so. I feel like why this book now is that I think people now more than ever are realizing life isn't about just the money. Life isn't about working a job just to put a roof over your head. For a lot of people, they're starting to realize life is about being conscious, being awoke, woke or awakened, whatever one we want to use, figuring out what your purpose is, serving it, serving other people, figuring out how to do it in a way that's more efficient so you're not banging your head against the wall, taking 10 years to do it properly. And I think this book answers those questions. And so the why now is because I think more than ever, we need that. And then I feel like also with what's going on in the world in general, I feel like this book is a conscious book and I feel like the world's waking up. So overall, and as a general rule. So I just feel like it's the right book at the right time. In terms of why I think the book won't leave me, it's my version. Now I'm not gonna, I'm comparing it to them, but I'm not saying it's these books, but it's sort of my version for me, for my life of the four agreements. The Alchemist, Celestine Prophecy. It's my book like that, where I feel like it truly has the ability to impact lives in a way none of my other books did. I think I'm proud of all my babies, but this book has a, I truly, I feel a way, impact in a different way than the other books did or could. And I will say one of the greatest compliments I ever received was, and there's the two testimonials in the back of the book, is the comparisons. One was an independent book review by onlinebookclub.org, I think is what they're called. I compared it to The Secret and Celestine Prophecy in terms of potential impact. And then I had a person that randomly read the book and said it reminded them the One Minute Manager book series. And so every day of the week, I'll take those comparisons. So Absolutely. I think that's why this book and why now. That's awesome. And you mentioned here, and you kind of just like 
we want to kind of swing right past here. And I don't want to swing right past here. You mentioned 6,000 interviews as part of this background that you've had. And this is obviously something that you've built over many years. You don't just interview 6,000 people in a year. So you know, a lot of people are like, how do I ever talk to so-and-so? And you know, how do you get so-and-so on your show? Or how do you get them on your stage? Or how do you get introduced to this person? And you've been involved with many, many people. And I, I think sometimes people are like, how do I get started in that? So when you first started interviewing thought leaders and, and business leaders and things like that, how did you reach out or how did you make those connections? I think that's where a lot of people are listening to this show is going to say, well, how do you get started? How do you reach these people? Well, I'll, I'll tell you first, I'll start with, first thing you have to do is start with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey said, uh, begin with the end in mind, meaning like, who do you want to reach? This is what, so I did some of this when I started, Steve, but this is what I wish I would have fully done. So I did a little bit of it, but not even in the way I should have, but make your dream 100 list. So I did do that part, but then reverse engineer from the six degrees of separation, who are you connected with or who do you know, or who could you reach that knows those people? So this is what I wish I would have done at first. The first thing you have to do before you do that is you have to build up to interview that person. So you don't want your first interview to be Oprah because you're going to, I'm sorry, but most people, 99% of the world is going to bomb that interview horribly. And so I was fortunate enough, I had a newspaper where I was interviewing people early on that were small, like one person business owners, small onesie twosie businesses. And so I got my chops a little bit interviewing people. So I actually do believe you have to put some time in the trenches before you start interviewing the bigger name and influencers who've maybe done 5,000 interviews. They might even stop the interview if you're so new that you can't even carry the interview out. So, and what do you do if, if somebody at that level answers in ways you're not used to then do you just break under the pressure? So I will say, I think you need to get your feet a little bit wet. But I'm still going to answer the question in terms of whether, if you want to ignore me and not get your feet wet, or if you still want to try this stuff because it might take you a year to interview them anyway. So here's what I would say to do. I said the reverse engineer part. So figure out your dream 100, reverse engineer. I figured out the dream 100. I didn't reverse engineer it. So I added more steps because I didn't figure out who can I get to that can get me to them eventually. But what I did do, which was happy accidents again, but there is a strategy behind it, is I use the power of leverage. And I think leverage is one of the most unused assets we have at our, our ability. In fact, so much so that you'll see somebody be featured on a show like yours, then they'll be featured on mine, then they'll be featured on a CBS show, and then they'll be featured on a website, popular website, and they never tell a soul. And I guess they just assume that whoever hears it is that's going to be all my marketing, but you're losing so much marketing there. In fact, you're losing the most of it. You should be having an seen on banner saying as seen on Corey's show and Steve's show, because then people know who, who never listen to that episode. Wow. This is somebody who's, who does media. This is somebody who is an expert. And same with, if you have a book, they might never read your book, but you should have in your email signature author of such and such a book. So first of all, leverage, I think you can leverage those things to get the next thing. So if you want to be interviewed on shows like Steve and mine, Go get those interviews, Go whether it's me or whether it's somebody before me. Get three or four or five interviews. And when you approach me, say, here's four or five interviews I just did. And immediately I'm going, okay, this person can handle an interview. So first of all, leverage. Understand that, how to use it. And it doesn't have to be just to get people on your show. But now let me answer the bigger question on how I use leverage. So I'll use the example of Jack Canfield. So Jack Canfield's the Chicken Soup for the Soul co-creator. And I had Jack on my show. When I approached him, we hadn't launched yet. So we had zero listeners. And I'm approaching a guy who's done 5,000 interviews and have been on every top show you can think of. So the odds were really heavily against me landing that interview. But what I did by accident, and this is why I say we need to reverse engineer it, is I was listening to a Success Magazine CD. 
that they used to have the CDs you could listen to in your car. And Darren Hardy's interviewing a guy named Dan Sullivan. Now, Dan Sullivan uh, runs Strategic Coach. On the interview, Dan said that some of his clients include Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, and he's dropping the names. Meanwhile, I had just reached out to Jack's office, and they told me he turns down nine out of every 10 interviews. And Corey, the answer is probably likely. So I was expecting a no. But when I heard that Dan coached Jack, I said, there's my in. So what I did was I reached out to Dan's office. And Dan in the interview said that Success Magazine, that was his favorite interview, he said at the end. And my interviews were like Success Magazine. So I reached out and said, I'd like to bring Dan on. And our interviews are similar to Success Magazine. I know he liked that interview. So I didn't try to manipulate and pretend I didn't know he liked it. So they came back and said, Dan said he'll do it. Now, he was a big guest anyway. He was already bigger than every other guest I had scheduled. So don't get this as I was trying to manipulate Dan. I mean, he was a great get for my show. But I also recognized that he would be a close step closer to Jack. So we brought Dan on the show. I talked about Jack a bit because I said, I heard Jack and Mark are your clients. And, and he started talking. He said, you know, Jack would love this show. You should bring him on the show. So then what I did was I cut that clip out and I sent that clip into Jack's office. And you got to remember now, he's Jack's coach. So then Jack's team came back. I, I even remember the name of the lady, but she came back and said, Corey, Jack said he'll do it. Now, this is after they told me he was likely going to say no. The coolest part to finish the story, Steve, which I think makes the story more powerful, is the day my interview finally aired on my little tiny show. He was like, I think, our second episode. So my day my interview aired, the day before he was on Larry King Live and the day after he was on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. <laughs> That's and, an amazing leverage right there. Yeah, and it was, I mean, the reason I say that, we started on Saturday. So he was li like literally live on, on Super Soul. It wasn't a replay. So I say all this, not as a me ink thing, but to reverse back now to leverage. If you see what I did there within that story, I went to somebody that Jack respected. We interviewed him. I talked about Jack. He said Jack should be on the show. I recognized as soon as he said it, I got to cut this clip and send it. Then they heard from, this is a guy that Jack respects, said, you got to check out the show. And then it was a no-brainer. Jack was probably deciding between five shows that day. And my show is the one that Dan recommended. So who's he going to pick? Unless he knows the other shows. So the end result is that was a power of leverage. And then, now let's finish the story further for those people that are saying, how do I do this? Then guess what I can now do if I wanted? I didn't go in this order, but what I could have done then is say, okay, now I have Dan, now I have Jack. Who is the other person in this trifecta? Mark Victor Hansen. Now I could go to Mark if I want and say, hey, Mark, Jack and Dan have been on the show. So these are two people they trust. We should get you on the show. And then I could probably get Mark if I would. I didn't go in that direction, but I probably could have. And then I might, if I wanted, I could probably go Tom Ziegler, who we've had in the show since, Zig Ziegler's son, and say, we've had Jack, Mark, and Dan on the show. Then JJ Virgin's another guest we have. And when we had her on, she goes, oh my God, I, I love you know, so-and-so and listing names of people. And so if you get what I'm getting at here, there are usually most of these influencers are one degree away from another one. So once you can build up a few names, but how you get that first name is the hardest one. And, and so in this case here, I try to get creative. And if you notice what I did as well, I was making it about Dan. He said he liked the Success Magazine interview, so that's what I went with. I'll give you one super quick story about somebody we just had in the show, and he did something totally different from me, but it'll hopefully get people thinking creatively. So I told you what I did with the clip of Dan. This person's name is John Tellerico. And John had built his way, if you guys have read Think and Grow Rich, uh, talked about a guy named Edward Burns who wanted to work with Thomas Edison and finally worked his way into being Thomas Edison's business partner. Well, John did that with Les Brown and Bob Proctor. And how he did it is this. John went to Bob Proctor's events and heard that Bob always played the song I Can See Clearly Now. So he recognized that Bob obviously liked this song. So what he did in his own is he found who wrote the song, found the guy's son, asked if I send you a copy of the record or CD, I can't remember which it was, would your father sign it to Bob Proctor who loves his music? 
Then he got that. He said, I'll pay for the shipping and everything. I'll pay for the record, everything. He got shipped to himself. Then he framed it. The next event, he went to Bob Proctor's. He didn't go and say, Bob, look what I bought you. He left it at the front counter. The next day, Bob Proctor's son calls John, the next day after the event was over, and said, Dad just got your gift and he wants to meet you. He said it cost them less than $20. Creativity. So again, creativity and leverage. So again, what I would say is leverage. That, I mean, that's the real takeaway. And hopefully I also gave people listening a tool for how you can use leverage even beyond landing a big name, how you can use leverage, like I said, to get credibility. You go land a talk, make sure you tell the world. One other thing I was going to say, I'll tell you one last super quick thing is we just did a virtual event. You've alluded to that. And on that virtual event, we brought on Les Brown, one of the most legendary speakers. We brought on Mike Lee Gerber, the E-Myth, brought on Tom Ziegler, Mark Victor Hansen, who I just mentioned, Crystal Hansen. And so here's another example of leverage. The people that I invited on that show that got to share the bill with Les Brown can now say in their bio, I've also shared the bill with Les Brown and Mike Lee Gerber. But what I'm getting at is how few people will do that. So if you take one message away from me today, make sure you let the world know what you're doing, even if they didn't see what you did. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's such a, a powerful way to take what you're growing with and to grow into something bigger. And I believe many people do this, but they don't do it fully either. And uh, I've seen like, they might have like the one sheet, but who's seen the one sheet? Some people are doing a really good job, perhaps putting in a LinkedIn profile banner. There's an opportunity right there. People come to your LinkedIn page, you show who you've been on or who you've been associated with, because that it does use the principles of leverage. And speaking of leverage, You've been a TEDx speaker. You've also got a new project going on. That I wanted to make sure we talked about that today because I think this is really exciting. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about, I'll let you share what it is, but it's Blue Talks. What is Blue Talks? So I'm going to say it a different way than I've ever said it. I usually say it's TEDx meets Chicken Soup for the Soul, but I'm going to say if TEDx and Chicken Soup for the Soul got together and had a baby, it would be Blue Talks. I, don't, I heard that somewhere recently, Baron, some, another example. But yeah, so I mean, essentially what it is, it's a, a branded talk series like TEDx's. The difference here is very clear in the two is that on the blue talk stage, the U, so the blue is an acronym for something. It stands for business life universe. And what that means is you can come on our stage and talk about any of those elements. And the difference is typically TEDx, they don't focus as much on the um, spiritual side, the woo-woo, if you will. And we've essentially said we are focusing on that side. So I want to p- bring people on the stage that talk about business that share their life story, or they talk about the universe. Essentially, it's a branded talk series where you can basically come on and talk about almost anything as long as you're doing it with the intention to impact somebody's life. We call it also the subheader is speaking reimagined because I don't want it to be that it just has to be a speaker on a stage. For instance, we have somebody coming up at one of our upcoming events, and I'm going to be interviewing her like David Letterman style or like Jay Leno style, just the two of us in chairs. We have somebody else that's going to do their podcast live. We have another person that just said she wants to do the sound bowls. And so I'm all in for that. For me, I've spent most of my life, first 50% of my life was completely non-woo-woo, you know, for lack of a better word. And then one, I had balance problems one time. I discovered yoga after the medical world couldn't help me. And I went from a guy who couldn't stand up with my eyes open without swaying to a guy that could do tree pose, if people know what yoga is, one leg, a wrist thing on my other leg with my eyes closed without wobbling at all within a month and a half, two months. And the medical world told me there was no help at all. So I got kind of pulled in. And my mother read tarot cards when I was growing up, brought me for tea leaf readings. My girlfriend's a Reiki master and a shamanistic healer. And so I kind of got pulled into that world. But once I saw it and realized that synchronicities, I believe, are true, they're not coincidences, 
I wanted people to be able to talk about that in the stage. So that's how Blue Talk was born. Blue Talks was people coming to me saying they want to be able to talk about anything on a stage. And then what it looks like now is we launched three live events in the fall of last year, filmed all the talks. We're just literally getting ready to start dropping them weekly. We are kicking off a podcast, Blue Talks podcast at the same time. We just were weeks away from launching the book series. So it's going to be an ongoing book series. And then we added the virtual events unplanned in the last month. And we had the, our big virtual events the earlier this month. So far that we know of, they were seen by 20,000 people. I mean, that to me is game-changing. And so that's what Blue Talks is. It's basically a full multi-platformed brand of talks that are all sort of under one umbrella. And we're actually, when I say launching, they're all launching on the same day too. So it's literally, you're going to see a podcast, a book series, and the branded videos coming out all in one day. So that's, that's Blue Talks in a nutshell. Yeah, that, that's a lot going on to have multiple launches too. And I, I want to ask you, you know, a couple of questions related to that too, because first of all, you're launching Blue Talks, but it's also in the midst of COVID, <laughs> obviously. And I believe you're, what I heard from other speaking you've done about Blue Talks is that it was envisioned to be live, obviously, because it's like TEDx and it's on a stage. Often, usually it's on a stage, but then sometimes you have things like COVID pop up. So how did that impact this whole launch process for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I guess the answer is this. So we, luckily, I mean, I'm so glad we didn't plan to film and like launch a week later, like film and launch within the same week because the events we had planned for the spring were pushed to the fall. And, and of course, to be continued, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen this fall. Right. I'm optimistic about most of the events, but it's likely one will be pushed, maybe two out of six. I mean, but I'm, I'm optimistic. Most of them will run. And if they don't, we will reschedule for as soon as possible. Like we want to still run them as the live events. But we're lucky we recorded 40 talks it last fall. So that's one thing is we now, so, so here's the way it changed it. But now we have the videos ready to go. The podcast, it isn't going to affect us at all, right? Because we can record interviews like we're doing right here. The book series, it really doesn't affect us because we can all do it from home. The virtual event does affect us. It's only our live events. And so here's the switch I had to make. So there was a bit of a pivot. One pivot was we decided to push the launch by a couple of months. Originally, I was planning to launch in May. And I pushed the launch because I'm saying, if we don't know if the events are going to happen or when they're going to happen, then we need to buy ourselves more time. And if we launched in May, I was scared we are going to run out of videos before our next ones are filmed. Now, we could switch over to virtual just to bide our time if we had to. I don't want to. And we won't stay with virtual. Like I won't. Somebody that was going to come and speak live, they'll be still coming to speak live. We had to, we could get people to set it up so they're filming them as if they're on a stage. And we could do that just to get some videos out to buy us some time. So that's one plan, a backup plan. But the second thing is, I was originally planning to go two videos a week. Now I'm going to go one. So one video a week buys us 40 weeks, basically. But then oh, at the same time, I didn't want to just have one video coming out because for me, it felt like there should be something all the time. So then we filmed other stuff. Like we had the interviews. We filmed interviews so that we'd have a bit of a clip to run before for the podcast before we ran their live audio from their talk. And so, but it was like we recorded a 50-minute interview just to get two minutes of a clip. So now I have like 20 videos where I recorded 15 minutes. So we're just going to air the whole interview as our second publishing day. So one day will be the live talk. I shouldn't say live, but one day will be the video, the talk from the live event. And then one day will be something else from Blue Talks, whether it's, and it could even be stuff from our virtual event already. Like if one of our speakers that's also on our stage did it, was that involved in our virtual event, we could actually take their 20 minute presentation and make that the second day. But we have enough content, I think already right now for the 40 weeks to go and talk one, let's say Tuesday and Thursday release some bonus material from a Blue Talk speaker. 
But that's how we had to pivot. We weren't planning to go that road. I was planning to already have another 30, 40 talks filmed. And then by fall, I'd be up to 120. So two a week, what does that give me over a year? But now this has changed. So I'm like, I'd rather go one a week and just not take a chance that we're going to burn through it all too quick. So the only pivot it made is that we had to have a backup plan for the live events. And then at the same time, we changed our, our release date to make sure we bought ourselves some time. Gotcha. Now on the Blue Talks itself, you mentioned, so it's Business Life Universe, I think you said, right? The BLU? Yep. So I noticed that the, the, was it the logo or the word itself, the, the B is lowercase. Is that a design element or is there a reasoning for that? I was just curious. No, it's, it's just a design element. There's no, like, I don't have any preference over any of the three letters or anything like that or like blue more. So I want the B to be noticed more. And I don't like blue less. So I didn't want it to be a capital. It was, <laughs> it was just a design thing. It just felt right when I was doing it. And a lot of people, I mean, that's the other thing too. I didn't mention this, but I think when you mentioned the BLU, it is blue talks without the E. So it's blue without the E. Uh, so, and that made, the one good thing I got lucky, bluetalks.com was available. And I didn't think that would happen. I've been really lucky with websites anyway, but bluetalks.com was available. So I grabbed it. But yeah. So as far as that goes, it was, it was more design than anything else. It was like, this just feels right not to just have it three straight capitals. And it didn't feel right to have three lowercase. So it was a matter of what's going to stand out the most. And I felt this lowercase first letter would. Gotcha. Yeah, because it's like TEDx has lowercase at the end and you've got the blue with a lowercase B at the beginning. That, well, that was I didn't go, where does TEDx have their lowercase? Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> that was an interesting comparison is all. So if somebody's listening to the show and they're saying, hey, I, I would love to participate in Corey's Blue Talks, what would be the process for them to reach out to you or to get involved in that? I mean, the, the easiest route would be, I guess, to make connection with me. So I mentioned bluetalks.com, without, blue without the E. That's one way to get there. You go to that site, check it out and learn a little bit more about it. And then go to the contact. There's a contact form. Just, and that's only so we don't get a lot of spam. But contact form, just send me an email that way. Or the other option is go to social media, add me as a friend there, reach out to me, private message. I mean, I definitely do as much on private message as I do an email. So that's another route. The other thing I would say is if you want to learn more about me in general as a person, you can go to thatspeakerguy.com. So thatspeakerguy.com is my main website. So really any of those options, I hate giving multiple because then some people just kind of, they uh, get, they say, I'm just going to, I'm tapped out. I'm not going to go to any of them. So if you only want to go to one, I would say go to bluetalks.com and send me a message in contact form and then we'll get connected. And then you can, you can check me out on Facebook after that. But that's yeah, right. We're going to have them, all these links will be in the show notes. So make sure you listen for the link at the end after the music. You'll definitely get all the show notes and, and all the links in the show notes. I mean, so Corey, I know we're running low, low on the time here. I want to value your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show here. What's next for Corey? We've already got Blue Talks rolling out now. Is there something bigger on the horizon or what's next? So there's, a, I mean, I'm one of those people I feel like I always have a lot of eggs in the basket, even though people say you shouldn't. And people say you shouldn't have chased two rabbits because you'll, you'll never catch one. And I still foolishly still try to chase multiple rabbits. But having said that, I have a couple of things on the go right now. One, I won't go into too much detail because we haven't really been sharing it too much publicly, but I'm working on a documentary, a really big documentary. But it's my side hustle. Like it's tucked away in the side because COVID actually probably interfered with it being almost done now because me and the other person that is the central focus of the documentary can't get together because of travel. But it's a documentary like The Secret where we filmed a bunch of other people. So all the content is done, but we have to fill in the main content now to make the whole thing work. So that's probably because of the COVID delay, it's probably like six to nine months minimum out from being complete. So that's always in the back area type project. The one that's closer to the forefront is work, and I fast-tracked this 
because of COVID too. So you can see a lot of things changed because of COVID. I even changed my print launch of my book. The book put, the publisher put it out March 17th, but I decided to do a refocused launch in September because of the way the timelines landed. I had a bunch of live events I had to switch and everything. And so it just made sense for me to refocus. But the one thing I moved up a lot quicker because of COVID was a member site that I've been wanting to launch. So I'm launching like a vault where we just talked earlier, but I've done thousands of interviews. So I have all this great content by some of the greatest minds sitting there doing nothing. And so finally we decided to get it done. And it originally, it probably would have been later this year, even though I would have originally, I planned it to do it long ago, but the second originally, meaning once, once we decided, okay, it couldn't be done when it was, I was like, oh, I have to keep putting it to the back burner. It was probably going to be the end of this year or later. And then once we all kind of got stuck at home and people were watching more online stuff, I'm like, maybe it's time to put it out. And what I love about this, Steve, is this member site is a way to access the content that I share regularly. It's the first time to be able to access it for under hundreds of dollars. Usually it's thousands, but it's under $100 that you're going to be able to have access to this member site. And basically what it's going to be, and it's, we're really close now, it's going to be like the Netflix of personal and professional development, where there's categories, where there's, and there's old goodies, you know, the stuff I've already recorded, but we're also working on new features that we're going to do that are special features only for our site and members. And so I was working with the guy, the funnel guy yesterday, and he's telling me four to six weeks maximum, and it'll be up and running. So I would say by mid-August, it'll be launched. So that's a whole new thing, separate from Blue Talks, foolishly launched a month after Blue Talks. So I'm taking on two massive launches within probably weeks from each other. That's, that's a lot going on, but wow, I'm impressed. I, I know I just launched my community earlier this year. That was a big undertaking. I didn't uh, bring out a lot of people to help me with that particular launch. That was mostly on my shoulders and my wife helped the design stuff. But it, it's, it's a lot of work to do a launch. So I, my hat's off to you. Really, it is, Corey. You've, you've done some amazing work. I'm really appreciative of just the fact you've taken the time to come and join the show because you've got a lot going on. So thank you so much for joining us, sharing your wisdom with us today. And we've already given the links out. You'll find those in the show notes. Corey, any final thoughts before we jump off today? I feel like just my final thought would be to tell people, and maybe I'll tie this to what I've learned after interviewing all these high achievers. The three top things I learned are one, the power of no. Be willing to say no before you think you're ready to say no at a time when you still want to say yes to everything because opportunities aren't coming at you a thousand miles a minute. Start saying no early on. The high achievers say no, but 10 times more than the average person. So if you can start to work this muscle earlier on, you're going to be further ahead. Secondly, lifelong learners are leaders. So make sure you have a learning plan, whether it's informal or formal, but make sure you say every week, I feed my mind this or that in some way. So for me, it could be watching a TED Talk once a week. It could be reading a book every morning, whatever that is, but find a way to feed your mind. And then the third thing I would say, this is the number one trait of the highest of achievers is they figured out their purpose and they live on purpose. So if you haven't figured it out yet, figure out what your purpose is. This is not a, a show promotion for my book, but that's the, the idea behind my book is to help people do that. But figure out your purpose, your calling, whatever that is, your why, and then live every day immersed in that purpose. So my takeaway is if you do those three things, you're already going to be ahead of probably 90% of the world. Excellent so do those advice. things. Awesome, Corey. Thank you so much. I just want to say thank you once again for being here. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for all you're doing, Steve. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. 
Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com. Hey, solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs again. Wasn't that a great episode with Corey? You can find all the show notes for this episode at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 041. And if you're listening to this anytime in the first 10 days since this episode was released, I have a very special announcement for you. To thank you for listening to this podcast, I'm reopening for 10 days only the biggest discount I've ever offered on our annual patron membership in my Solopreneur Success Connections community. As you may know, I have a free lifetime membership option in my community that gives you a free ticket into every monthly live member business training session. During these sessions, we dive deep into topics of crucial importance to anyone building a business, but especially important for solopreneurs. Many of these include world-leading subject matter experts as guest trainers, like affiliate marketer John Cristani, SEO national founder Damon Burton, big idea generator Bond Helbert, master copywriter and prolific author Bob Bly, and just this week, Ken Wentworth, who you may know as Mr. Biz. Pre-members get to attend live, but patron members get all the recordings. That's 26 training sessions along with accompanying slides and bonus materials as of today. And that's not all. Patron members also get exclusive entrance into our private mastermind group, just for patron and higher members of my Solopreneur Success Connections community. We meet on Zoom the first Tuesday of every month to keep your business on track with accountability and personal advice from business-building peers across a wide array of industries. There's more, but you can read about it anytime you like on the membership page of my website, linked to from this and every episode's show notes page. Now, normally, patron membership costs $49 a month, or you can get it for $247 a year. But to thank you for listening, today through October 31st only, I invite you to use coupon code SSP, that's SSP for Solopreneur Success Podcast, to join us as a patron member. Normally it costs just $7 trial, but it gets a lot better with the SSP coupon code. When you use coupon code SSP to start your annual patron membership today through October 31st, you lock in for as long as you remain a member, a $70 per year annual patron membership. That saves you over 70% off the regular annual membership price and a whopping $518 per year off the monthly price. Really a no-brainer, and there's really no risk unless $7 for the trial 30-day period breaks your bank. And to make it even easier to enroll, I've included a special link on the show notes page for this episode which includes that SSP coupon embedded, so you can just click the link and go straight to checkout and grab your patron membership lifetime discount. There you go. That's my big thank you for being here and listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast today. Again, the special link to get the discounted offer is on the show notes page for this episode at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 041. Talk to you guys next week.